I've been thinking quite a bit about the project, right? And you know what the project's about? The project is about that, and the project's about change. So if this is... Something just changed. The project's actually about change. So here's the thing. If you're new here today, you don't come to the project thinking I'm going to stay the same. All right? This church would be a total, absolute failure if people came to it and no one ever changed. All right? That's the gig. The whole thing at the project here is about change. And our heart as a leadership of the project is that you would change as fast as God would have you to change. And sometimes God changes people slowly and other times God changes people very quickly. What we do know is that a lot of the time people get in the way of the speed that God actually wants to bring about change. And churches sometimes can get in the way. And so our job in a sense uh, that we see is that we need to try and keep up with God so that you change the way that you need to change. I remember uh, having a conversation. We had uh, one of the fathers... Uh, of this church in the early days, Ted Hitzke, who, uh, who has since passed away. He passed away a number of months ago. But I remember having a conversation with him in his sunroom at his house, and it was probably, uh, probably six weeks before he died. And we sat there, and here's young whippersnapper here compared to him, maybe just over half his age, running a church. And the old man teaches the young man something. You know, which, which is the way it's meant to happen, by the way. I mean, biblically, the idea is the old man and the old, older women. There you go. See, I was nice there. The older women get to teach the young women how to do things, right? So what does he tell me? He says, you know, I was up the other night, he said, and I couldn't sleep. And I suspect it was because he was in so much pain. I think he had 12 tumours in his body. He said this to me. You know what God showed me? He goes, God showed me that I had a whole bunch of areas of brass in my heart. And I was just, what's that? And you know what he said. He said there was a whole bunch of areas of just hardness where God actually wanted to get in and work and change it. And it wasn't soft the way that God wanted it to be. And it was just a beautiful thing. I mean, I would sit there. I mean, he's, he's a real, in a sense, a, a hero and a father of the project. And he certainly had a huge impact in my life. And you'd sit there and you'd go, really? Like, There'd be brass and there'd be hard areas in your life that God really wants to get into. And so he told me, he, he told me about this night where he realised he had to invite God in again just to change him even some more, even more than what he thought he needed. And that showed me more than anything. You know what? No one is beyond the need for change. Everyone in this room needs change. You see, change in our world is actually inevitable. It happens all the time. You see, your environment and your context can affect change on you if you do nothing. And you can affect change as well. And God's big gig is that he's trying to sew everything together to bring about really positive change. You see, prior to sin even in the Garden of Eden, prior to the first act of disobedience against God in the Garden of Eden, there still would have been change. You see, people grow, they develop, they grow in their minds, they grow through experience, they grow in wisdom to understand more things and to be changed. In fact, Luke 2.52 says, of the only perfect man that has ever lived and not died, Jesus, it says this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. He changed. He was perfect. He was born perfect. He stayed perfect. But you know what? He changed because that's part of the deal. Part of the deal in this world is that you change. And at the project here, we think change is great. 
We think change is a really, really good thing and we think it's a really good thing for you and it's a really good thing for me and we think everyone here needs to be absolutely passionately committed to changing. When you stop changing, you start dying. Because you know what? You don't stop changing. You just get messy. You see, there's two biblical words. There's, you know, you could say, well, I sit on the fence. Well, the fence is made out of a razor blade, right? So you'll end up on one side or the other anyway because it'll slice you in half, right? Your two biblical words for change are corruption and redemption. That's your two biblical words, right? If you do nothing, you become more and more corrupted, which is the sense of being dirty and, and some kind of degradation that's actually happening. And on the other hand, you could be redeemed. If you're in the process of being redeemed, you're actually in the process of being bought back. The idea of redemption is the idea of actually being bought back from something that you've been sold off to, in a sense. Remember my dad, when I was young, explained to me what a pawnbroker was. All right? and it's got nothing to do with an X, triple X rating or anything, right? But a pawnbroker... Has anyone watched porn? What is it? Porn stars, yeah, hardcore porn, that's, yeah, hardcore porn. You guys watch it, do you? <laughs> What's it on, Gem or something, is it? Yeah. Hardcore porn, which is, it's a porn breaker, right? So here's the deal, my dad explained to me what a porn breaker does. A porn breaker does this. A porn breaker gives you money, this is what he told me, a porn breaker gives you money for your possessions, and then it goes on sale. And if you want your possessions back, if you needed the money at that point in time and you wanted the possessions, your possessions back, you had to go and redeem what you sold. And you had to go and pay for it. And typically you had to pay more. That's how they made the profit. You have to pay more than what they gave you. And in a sense, that's happened to us, hasn't it? When we disobey and we turn away from God and we face something else or follow a different God, what actually happens is we need to be redeemed. But redemption is not just a one-off act. Anyone who's lived a, a Christian life for longer than about two hours knows that you actually need a continual redemption. So this is what we're just going to have a quick look at today. So the first thing I want to hit on today is uh, why we actually need change. Why do you need change? And I'm going to give you five reasons why you need change. Here's the first one. The first one is that sin or disobedience to God actually distorts the distinction between creator and created. We put ourselves at the centre of the universe. We put ourselves at the centre of the story. We attempt to be God and we become the people that actually start to define what is good and evil. And if you've ever observed anyone long enough, human beings are not that good at defining good and evil. They're good sometimes, but they, it gets really messy really quickly. And what tends to happen is that we deify creation, we turn creation into God, we turn created things into God's. And you can see how we get it flipped around the wrong way. The second reason why we need change is this, is that sin erodes our awareness of life lived always before the face of God. This is a beautiful Latin phrase, coram Deo. Your whole life is lived before God's face. That, that is your context. There's a, uh, there's a great line that's used by one of the biblical counsellors where he says, he says this, he says, God is your environment. Your abuse is not your environment. Your, the frustrations that your husband or your wife brings you is not your environment. The unfair treatment of other people is not your ultimate environment. Your ultimate environment is that you live in God's environment. God is your environment. 
And what actually happens is sin actually wears this away. And the result of uh, sin wearing away this consciousness of the fact that God's your environment is that life begins to get really messy at both an individual level and a cultural level. One of the things that happens at an individual level, and you've heard me say this heaps before, is people become self-sufficient and self-referential. You're never meant to be self-referential. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, taking one of my classes through this at the moment. Uh, sorry, through this at school at the moment, and it's quite amazing. The kids can just see it. You see, the very fact that God made you in his image means at a hardcore, creational, can't-change-it-concrete level, you are God-referential, and you cannot change that. You can try to, but you can't change it. It's just, if you want to put it this way, it's stuck. Like a dishwasher's created to use power, you're stuck to be an imager of God. Now, you can either image him or you can image something else, but you will continually image something. And you're meant to image God because that's how you're actually created. Which leads to the third point here, is that sin actually corrupts the image of God in mankind and it treats it with contempt. You see, the image of God, when humans turned against God for the first time, the image of God wasn't lost. In some sense, it would have been better off if the image of God was lost. But what actually happened is the image of God actually got corrupted and marred and distorted. Instead of uh, using the capacities God gave us to image him, we actually use those capacities to defame his name, to vandalise the world, to violate his image in others, which ultimately is treason. You see... The weird thing is that God made us to image and when we turn from God and we disobey him, we actually image God's arch enemy and that's the devil. I mean, 1 John talks about the fact that sin is lawlessness and the devil is lawlessness. It's one of the questions I ask my children at home sometimes is I say, you've been really disobedient now and you need to think about who you want to copy. Do you want to copy the devil or do you want to copy Jesus? That's your choice. Who do you want to look like? You see, abuse, abortion, racism and genocide are so heinous because they violate the very image of God. That's why they're so bad. Number four, sin corrupts worship. You see, human beings, and you've heard me say this stacks and stacks of times, human beings do not stop worshipping. They find something else to worship. And we can make anything into a God, can't we? We can serve anything. The love of anything can rule our hearts. We tend to exalt substances and experience a person or a dream to the level of God. We define life by our attainment of this goal. And you know what? We often feel like dying when it eludes us. In a sense, we get suicidal because that thing that we desperately want so much and that we don't get, life's not worth living outside of that. And you know, if you get to that point, you've just got a big idolatry problem. And at the end of the day, as you've heard me say up here before, for those who have been to the project a bit, the thing that you worship is the thing that you serve. So you don't end up with an addiction. You end up in slavery. That's what happens. And you need to be redeemed. There's no one that needs redeeming more than a slave. And there's no one, probably, 
that's more powerless in performing their own redemption than a slave also. Number five, sin actually spoils shalom. Shalom is a biblical word for peace. And isn't this true? I mean, I don't even need to say too much about this, do I? You just only have to meditate and just think for a little bit about how disobedience to God and what he calls people up to shatters peace. It shatters peace all over the place. And we're actually in the grip, and we have been for thousands of years, of a sin pandemic. A turning away from God. We're in the midst of a pandemic that constantly shatters peace and it shatters goodness. You see, what began with Adam when Adam and Eve turned away from God has now touched the whole world, hasn't it? There's no one anywhere who's untouched by the shattering of peace. And you know the cool thing about this is Jesus said, and I'm just going off the topic a bit, Jesus said that he wanted you to be peacemakers. Now think about that. He's called us to bring peace to the world. Where the shattering of peace has occurred, when the shattering of shalom has actually occurred in the world, it's our job, it's not the pastor's job, right? And I don't even really call myself a pastor, but it's not the leader's job to do that. Jesus said it's everyone's job. And that doesn't mean avoiding conflict and it doesn't mean creating conflict, but it will mean walking right into the teeth of conflict and difficulty and distress to bring about shalom. To bring about Psalm 23 where it talks about he makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. Do you know anyone who needs to lie down? And some of you are going, man, I feel like I'd like to lie down right now. But do you, at a heart level, do you know anyone that needs to lie down? Maybe you do. Do you know anyone who needs shalom? Because that's part of God's gig, is that Jesus comes and takes the conflict and the intensity of people opposed to him and through the difficulty and the suffering brings peace. He brings shalom. Shalom is spoiled not just by the sin I commit but also by the sins committed against us. It's the abuse, the mistreatment, the betrayal, the lies, the abandonment. This is what God calls us to engage with. And the truth is, in a group this size, it's happened to us. And the truth is that there's people in this group that need help from each other to bring about shalom and to bring about peace. Which is why community is so important. Which is why you need to be in relationship with people. All right. Five reasons why we need change. Let me tell you this. We get on to the good news. Redemption actually comes through relationship. Redemption's not an idea. It's not an intellectual idea. I mean, there's an intellectual component to it, but it's not an intellectual idea. It's actually a connection with someone in relationship. Because change actually comes about in interaction with the person of Jesus Christ. It's pretty small up on the screen there, but John 14, 6 says, uh, Jesus says, I am the way and the one. The truth, see? Now, you've probably heard this before. I'll, I'll tell you again, because it's true. Truth is not an intellectual idea. Truth is a person. So when you intersect with truth, if you intersect with truth properly, you have to connect to a person, not just an idea. 
If you only connect with an idea, you'll miss it and you won't get the truth the way that it's meant to be understood. And the truth is that you need to be connected to means of grace to actually be connected to the person. Let me explain this. I was talking to um, someone earlier this week when you, about this. When you go to a petrol station, if you went to a petrol station that didn't have any petrol pumps and you got there and everyone said, you'd be sweet, all right? The tank's underground, it's totally full. Everything will be okay. And you're just going, yeah, all right? My tank's empty in my car. You're saying your tanks are full, but where are the pumps? All right, because the issue is not just that there's a big reservoir underneath that's got the fuel in it, it's not that I'm empty, but you actually need to find some kind of mechanism through which you can get that stuff out of there and you can get it into the car, true? And that, biblically, is the idea of the means of grace, right? Is there any shortage in the grace that God has for you? Is it? No, there's not. There's no shortage, right? It's like you've just driven into a servo that's actually got tanks underneath it that will never, ever, ever run dry because God always pours out of his fullness toward you. He doesn't have less, all right? He's infinite. He never runs out. So he gives you a little piece of mercy. He doesn't have less mercy, right? Because it's always excess for him. There's, there's, there's no limit on it. And you, could, you might say something like, can you measure the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God toward people? You can't measure it, right? Because it never, ever runs out. So there's never, ever a question about whether there's going to be the goodness of God toward you. And if you want to think about grace, you can think about grace being a gift. God continually gives gifts to people. Presence, help, patience. He continually gives mercy. He continually doesn't give you what you deserve. But you know what? You've got to work out how I'm actually going to get the grace out of the tank into my empty car. And the Bible's very clear about the fact that there's a whole bunch of ways, and I'm only going to list a couple, there's a whole bunch of ways that the petrol gets out of the tank or the grace gets out of the tank and into you. And the, the ways that this actually happens, one way is through personal time with God, through prayer. So you've got to work out how can I actually get into a place where I'm going to intersect with Jesus, right? And Jesus is is very clear and God's very clear about the fact that he will intersect with you when you spend time with him. He'll intersect with you when you spend time praying and when you spend time reading the Bible. That's one thing. Second thing is this, when you look in the Bible, it's very clear that Jesus intersects with people when they're in relationship with other people who have Jesus living inside of them as well, have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So you need to be in community, you need to be in relationship, which is why we kind of keep ringing the community group bell here because we want people to be in relationship because what's actually going to happen, hopefully, God willing, is that Jesus is going to speak from one person to the next person and someone's actually going to intersect with Jesus and find the means of grace by being in relationship with each other. And then coming to church. Hopefully at church, if we're following Jesus and we're doing what he wants us to do, you're going to intersect with him here. And the deal is that that's not the end of it. There are lots of means of grace in the Bible. You need to exercise the means of grace to be in a healthy, good place. And if you haven't been to church for a while, you need to go to church more often. You need to be in relationship more often. You need to spend time with Jesus more often. Am I going to say that you're an evil person if you don't have a quiet time every day? No, I'm not, right? Because there's nowhere in the Bible that says, thou shalt have 15 minutes of quiet time every day, all right? 
But I'll tell you this, that's a means of grace. All right? And it just so happens, I'll just tell you in case you didn't know, most of you should know, that is a really thick pipe all right, in terms of means of grace to fill up the tank. Is everyone with me? So if you're not doing it, you might go, oh, I can survive without it. Well, maybe. <laughs> all right? But if you come up to me and you go, oh, things are really dry, right? I probably won't do it, but I feel like probably just slapping you on the forehead and just go, you serious? Like, means of grace, all right? Go to church, be involved in community, be involved in relationship, read the Bible and pray, all right? That would be a really good start. Is it the end? No, it's not the end, all right? Is Sonnegal getting legalistic? No, he's not, right? He just loves you and he wants you to get grace from God and you don't get grace from God by going to work for 14 hours a day, never picking up the Bible, never praying and never talking to anyone who's Christian and coming to church once every four weeks. True? It's not going to happen, all right? You say, oh, God's being unfair. He's not helping me out. No, he's not being unfair. You're just being an idiot, right? You just seem to go to church, all right? And I'm not... Some of you go, oh, is he calling me an idiot because I don't go to church? No, he's not, right? But if you don't go to church and you don't do all those things and you don't partake in the means of grace and then it gets messy for you, probably Proverbs would call you a fool. All right? There you go. I'll use the biblical word. I think idiots are common day. Oh, if you're offended, come and see me later. All right? <laughs> BP is a petrol station. Yeah. It was probably more of a reminder for me than for you. There you go. Here's the thing. You need to be redeemed, right? And anyone who knows you well enough is going, you need to keep changing, champ. All right? And we need to accelerate this thing as fast as we can. Okay? Like I said earlier, we at the project want you to change as fast as possible, right? If some of you break the sound barrier, we'd be really chuffed, right? It'll be a weird noise and it'll freak us all out and probably some cows will go off their milk, right? But that would be good, okay, if uh, you were changing that fast. Here's the thing. Redemption is about relationship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says this, And because of him you're in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and what? Redemption, right? Redemption's in a person, in Jesus. Romans 3 verse 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption, that is, in Jesus, right? So you don't go up to Jesus and say, can you just serve me up and I'll, I'll upsize it to an upsized large thing of redemption. Just, you know, put it in the cardboard packet and I'll take it away. Because he's going, you don't get it in a cardboard packet. You don't get a serve of it. You get me, all right? You need to get Jesus to get redemption. That's just how it works, all right? And the truth is that you can be redeemed ultimately when you come to faith in Christ and decide to follow Jesus and repent of your sin, say sorry and turn away from your sin, but you need to be continually redeemed. You see, the fight for full redemption is actually a fight to see the unchanging God in Jesus. See, redemption's not a series of steps that we practice or rules that we follow. It's not the forced motions of religious practice. No human effort can bring about redemption of yourself or anyone else. The truth is that we need a redeemer. That's what we need. You see, ultimately, your story isn't about you. Your story is about fitting into God's story. 
And in the same way, redemption doesn't actually come from you or a focusing on you. It's not a bunch of self-help steps. It's about intersecting with a person. And you know what? Jesus is the main character in this story and what he's up to is changing you. And some of you are going, probably sit there and you go, well, I, th- I think I'm doing okay, all right? And you probably are. But you're not like Jesus yet, so he's still going, all right? And if a 70-something-year-old man can sit there and say to me, I've still got brass in my life that God's calling me to deal with and he wants to come in and change in me, then pretty much the rest of us will keep powering on. And it won't be good, right? And you, sit, you might sit there and you go, oh, does that mean I've got to have a whole bunch more rules? No, you've just got to intersect with the person who is redemption, right? And let him lead you and change you. That's what the deal is, right? Here's the thing. Redemption is actually justification and sanctification, all right? Justification is what happens when someone becomes a Christian. It's when they turn to God, they say sorry to him for everything that they've done, they repent and they turn in the other direction. That's justification, right? And the sense of justification is a sense of a public declaration of righteousness. So it's actually got, if you look biblically at the idea of justification, it's a legal declaration, all right? So on the cross, Jesus paid for the sins of the world, for those people who turned to him, And when they turn to him, there's a public declaration that that person is perfect. But that's not apparent to your wife, all right, is it? Or your husband, or your children, or your parents. Just going, well, we didn't get that memo, all right? It was sent out that this person's perfect. And the reality is, biblically, there's an idea of now and not yet, all right? This is a theologian's idea of now and not yet. So now you're perfect in Christ, but you're not yet fully perfected and made holy. And that's what sanctification is, right? So you get on the justification train and uh, unbeknownst to you, it becomes a sanctification train, all right? You get to the end of your life and whatever stuff God didn't clean up through the next however many years he gives you, he totally squares it all away and you're totally cleaned up. Uh, My dad used to have this corny saying, which kind of made sense. I mentioned it here before, is that when God looks at us, the sun gets in his eyes, S-O-N. Yeah, it's a bit cheesy, but uh, there's a sense in which God looks at us and we're perfect because of justification, but there's also a sense biblically that we need to progress in sanctification, which means we become more like him. All right? We become more like him. And Paul talks about this in Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared... The goodness, the gifts, the generosity of God has appeared, saving, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. That's a good thing. Self-control gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Self-control is a really, really good thing. You only need to see people without self-control to realise how terrible that is. And to be honest, there's probably some areas of quite a number of us here that are a little bit out of control. All right? And God would love to come in, and his goal is to come in and bring about some change there so that you have self-control. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's just good. That's just code for he's coming back for you. Okay? So get really excited about it. Amen? Get really excited about it. He's, he's, he's coming back. And you just go, oh, that sounds like a sci-fi movie. Well, it kind of is. All right, except it's real. Okay, he's going to come back. He's going to square everything up, sort everything out. 
The appearing of uh, the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous, pumped about good works. You don't get pumped about good works from legalism, right? But you do get it if you're connected to a redeemer, all right? And you can see at the end of this scripture here that Jesus comes to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify, right? Purifies, you just got to hear and purify, you hear sanctification. So he's come to redeem, kind of justification, but the redeeming actually turns into sanctification and purification, all right? It's really good news. Really, you want to be excited about that, really, all right? The weird thing is that we just get kind of a, we can get a little bit comfortable and, and nice and you can, look, the truth is, isn't it, that we can get pretty comfortable and pretty used to our own dysfunction sometimes, True. You can just get used to it, you just, which is why I think, you know, with the crippled man or whatever it was at the pool of Bethesda, I think it was, when Jesus came and said, do you want to get well? That's a really good question, right? And Jesus would ask all of us today that. Maybe the Holy Spirit would ask that. He's doing the inside job. He'd say, do you really want to get well in this area of your life? That's, that's a really important question to ask because in your head, you're going, yeah, of course I do. All right? But underneath, sometimes, you say, uh, I think I'm okay. I'd really like Peter to get off my case. Maybe you're saying that, all right? I'd really like to go home or, I don't know, I need two more heaters in my house. I don't know. There's lots of things you like, but here's the thing. Do you really want the change that God wants to bring about? And do you really believe that it's good? I mean, in the back of my head, most of my life, people talk about change, I just go, oh, I've just got to try harder. It's not actually about trying harder. Is it going to be harder sometimes? It is going to be harder sometimes, right? But I, is, it's probably not a newsflash to you that when you don't change, that gets pretty hard sometimes too, doesn't it? It's just usually that you pay afterwards. You see, when you, when you follow God, the blessing comes after the effort most of the time. When you don't follow God... The blessing, and I say that in inverted commas because it's a chocolate-coated poison comes before it and then you pay for it afterwards. Psalm 103. You guys seriously should be just jumping out of your chairs at this one, right? This is so good. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Here's the thing. I really hope that you'd, everything within you is worshipping and praising God at the start of church today, all right? Some of you are going, oh, hope he wasn't watching me. I don't know what it looks like when all of you praises God, right? But I hope it was. And here's the thing, I'll tell you this. If it wasn't, you don't get him. Because you would. That's what the psalmist is saying here. If you actually got God, you'd praise him with the whole of your being. And sometimes, you know, you can go to churches and people get some kind of funky dance going on in the middle of worship, Right? And it's kind of weirds you out a bit. And you're just kind of going, that's weird. All right? I think it's weird, right? I let the drum so I didn't have to dance. Okay? Because you sit down and, uh, and you don't have to stand on stage and no one's looking at you, which fits in with my fear of man as well. But you know what? I mean, in the Old Testament, David got so pumped, he did it in his jocks. All right? And he's, he's uh, well, there's some suggestion he was naked. All right? And that's, that's kind of weird. Okay, and his wife wasn't real happy with it, so I don't know whether he hadn't been working out for a while or what was going on, but 
You get what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's just going to take over you. I'll keep going. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Here's the deal. The next line probably tells you why you don't worship as hard as you might if you understood things more. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's part of the point of church, is someone's going to stand up, lead worship, and tell you about how good he is, right? Because you forget about stuff. I remember someone, when I was a young guy, standing up and saying, human beings have terrible spiritual memories. And they do. We just forget stuff. You know, one day this week, I'm kind of going, well, I can't think of any reason why I'm following God right now, or why I should follow God right now. Really dumb moment, all right? But that's just kind of what happens. You just need that continual refresher of this is why you're doing it. This is what you get. And here we go. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the what? The pit, right? I don't know. You've been in a pit before? It's really hard to get out of a pit. That's why it's a pit. <laughs> all right? Maybe you're in a pit now. All right, what do you need if you're in a pit? Well, you need someone to pull you out, which is a redeemer, right? And that's what God does, right? And the truth is, God doesn't just pull you out of a pit when you decide to follow him. Who knows that there's times a whole way through your life where he pulls you out of pits, all right? A few people, right? Come on, there's more than that. Testify to it. He's, he's had God pull him out of a pit. Yeah, you have, right? That's a well-worn rope that he throws down there. Ah, oh, Peter, you idiot. What did, what did you do that for? I don't know, God. I'm an idiot, all right? Which is a pretty good prayer sometimes, right? Just, I'm an idiot. That was a dumb thing to do. Right up, here you go. I'll pull you out. That's what he does. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That's a good crown, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to wear that one? Steadfast love and mercy. Think barnacle, all right? You ever been to the beach and with your thong tried to kick off a barnacle off a rock? It doesn't go, all right? You probably slice your foot open in the end. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. True? I mean, there's probably many of you that have had your strength renewed at times where you just go, I can't do it anymore. I got to the end. And the psalmist would say to you, next time you get to the end and you run out of strength, don't forget his benefits, right? Because one of his benefits is that you don't wear out and get tired and just get absolutely trashed beyond repair. You see, redemption is actually a battle to see God. Check this scripture out from uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12 to 18. Since we have such a hope, a hope of a new covenant, a new deal, um, that God brought through Jesus. We are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So the deal here is that Moses went up Sinai to meet God and he came back, his face was so bright from being with God, people couldn't look upon him. So they put a veil over his head. But their minds are hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So the big idea is you really don't get to see the glory of God. In the Old Testament, they didn't get to see the glory of God. Now we don't get to see the glory of God unless we have or are connected to Christ. 
That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, and this is what I want you to focus on, the last three lines there, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Think about that. The way that you actually get transformed is by seeing God clearly. Now, Jesus starts that, and he takes the veil away so that you can see him clearly, and you can see God clearly, I should say. You can see God clearly. Jesus, look, Jesus is God, right? But there's three members to the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? So Paul seems to be speaking uh, holistically here that Jesus takes away the veil so that we can see God. And you know what? When you see God clearly, you just change. That, that's what this says. Paul's not saying you've got 12 rules that will bring about change in your life. He's going, no, the fight is actually to see God. And one of my boys, it really seriously, deeply troubles him sometimes that he can't see God. Literally. Now, who wouldn't want to see God? I would. I want to. That would be good. He said to me one night, he goes, Daddy, he goes, I'm really upset with God. I'm just going, okay, what are you upset about? He goes, I'm really upset because I asked him to show himself to me so that I could see him and he hasn't done it yet. I just thought, at one, in one sense, I didn't really know what to say to him. Because I suspect that's probably been all our cry. You know, you read stuff like Genesis uh, 3, where it says God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And wouldn't you love to just go for a bush, bush walk with him? That would be good. You know, let's have a chat. I mean, in one sense, I'd, I'd love to think that I could have been around when Jesus walked around. But I'd be a bit scared of that too because Jesus was probably a lot different to what a lot of people expected. And I wouldn't want to be one of the ones that missed him, you know, and just didn't get him. Just on a break at this point in time, that's Sonder God Light. But I want us just to pause and, uh, and uh, take communion. Because this is really special. You see, the only way that you actually get to see God is when Jesus dies on the cross and he takes the veil away so that you can see him. In a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to be preaching on Hebrews. And uh, one of the things that the writer of Hebrews is so absolutely passionate about is no human being can get to God off their own bat. Everyone needs someone to be a mediator between them and God. You, you, you won't. You will not get there. But the good news in Hebrews, and the author's just pumped about it, is he's going, there's actually someone who comes and stands in between God, the Father, and us, and that's Jesus, the Son, and brings peace between two warring parties. And that is what communion is all about.